Father, I thank you that indeed you are the God of miracles. Father, we live in a world today where we hear about science so frequently and science interacts with every part of our lives. And Father, I pray that we would not forget that you are the God of miracles. I pray, Father, that, that we would sense a growing in our faith that believes that God still moves, that God still interacts with us, that you still bring about miracles today. Father, I pray for those that are with us here today, whether in person or online, that have been dealing with conditions, that have been dealing with illness, that have been dealing with situations where the healing power of God is something that they have been desiring, something that they have been needing, something that they have been believing for. And I pray that today that their faith would be increased. I pray that that their hearts would be challenged today. I pray that they would see that there is hope today in the name of Jesus and that God is still moving and still doing miracles today. Father, I pray for that one that so desperately desires to trust God for a miracle today. I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to them. I pray for your anointing to rest on your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you today as we start a brand new series. And our series is called Miracles. And I want to start with a message that I'm entitling, Who Done It? And I want to share something that happened very early on in my years of ministry. And it was a week as we prepared to go toward the next Sunday that my pastor, Pastor Sam Tim, was, uh, was really feeling throughout the week this sense of a, a need to preach on the subject of healing. And throughout the week, that sense kept growing. But he really resisted that sense. In fact, he, he, he shared with me that he actually was arguing with God because he already had his sermon prepared. And there's nothing that gives a pastor a greater sense of relief and peace than when he has his sermon prepared in advance. And so he really resisted and, and just kind of fought with God, argued with God throughout the week. But that sense that he needed to preach on healing just continued to grow until finally Saturday morning he decided to go into the office and begin to write a new message. And after writing that message, coming to church on Sunday morning, preaching that message on healing, and getting to the end of that message, and, and, and not, not with a sense of frustration, but just a sense of, I don't know what God is doing, called people forward and said, if you need healing, 
we want you to come forward. And so that morning we, we prayed for people, we laid hands on them, we anointed them with oil at the end of that service. And during that time of prayer, there was an older gentleman that neither one of us had ever met before, and he came forward for prayer. And he introduced himself with a very thick German accent with broken English, and he said, my name is Reinhardt. Reinhardt Schorman was his name. And Reinhardt had been diagnosed with cancer, and the doctors told him that there was no hope for him, and that this cancer that they had diagnosed in him was going to take his life in a very short period of time. And so as we prayed for him, there was an incredible sense of faith in our hearts that day. And it was really interesting because we just continued to go down the line and pray for people. And we got to the end of the line and Reinhardt came forward again to be prayed for a second time. But imagine his faith because we found out that during the week, the Lord was really speaking to Reinhardt. Reinhardt was not a part of our church, and all week he felt God speaking to him, saying, Reinhardt, you need to find the Assembly of God Church, and you need to be there this Sunday. Reinhardt at that point was not feeling well because of the cancer. He was weak. It had really affected him. But that morning, he and his wife Lydia made it to church. Imagine how God moved in his heart hearing that the message that Sunday was on healing. We were so excited. We really knew that God was doing something incredible. This morning, I'd like to read from the book of John chapter 9. And this passage of verses is about a healing that took place in Jesus' ministry. Let's start reading right at verse number 1. And it says this, John chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So when I went, so I went and washed and then I could see. This morning I'd like us to look 
at three questions about this man's healing. And question number one is this, who sinned? Now, as we read this passage in John chapter 9, we're going to refer to this a little bit later. Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem. And we know that this is obviously the first century, and blindness during the first century was extremely common. There was disease, there were injuries, there was a lack of personal hygiene, but, but blindness was something that was just very commonplace. People would know several people that were blind. It was something that was just common. Now, in Rome, we know that social reform in the Roman Empire had really begun a couple hundred years earlier, but it really didn't extend much outside the city of Rome, and it certainly did not extend outside of those who were Roman citizens. The government would collect taxes and they didn't expand as, as an empire in order to support other nations. In fact, the exact opposite was true. They expanded because they wanted to obtain the wealth from these countries. And they would access much of that wealth through taxes. But in the region of Galilee, poverty was very extreme. And 90% of the people living in that region were near, at, or even below what would be considered a subsistence level of living. It was extreme poverty. We read in Scripture that, that those who were widows, that if, uh, if they did not have a family member that, could, that would take them in, starvation was really the only eventuality that would happen in their lives because remarriage was not common, um, that, that without someone to take them in, they were not going to survive. So with the exception of those that lived in Galilee that were Roman appointees, or those who were landowners, really there was just an incredible poverty and, and basically everyone was impoverished and the plight of the disabled would only be that much greater because of that. We read lots of examples in the Gospels and the disabled were often put in places where they would beg for money or beg for food. They were placed in a, in a community in a very strategic location so that the most foot traffic possible would come by them and they would, they would have a corner that would really produce some results. But this only happened if they had a family member or a friend who was able to actually get them there and help them be there. So in our story, we see the blind man and the disciples, they see him and they ask a very revealing question. And what they want to know is who sinned? Is it this man or is it his parents? 
And we really derive a couple of meanings of their question from, uh, from what they've asked, and, and they really have a couple different possible meanings. The first possible meaning is this, that this man's parents have sinned, and that as a result of this, what obviously must be a heinous sin, that God has chosen to punish them by causing their son to be born blind and to live throughout his life with blindness. The second meaning is this, that the man himself has committed sin before birth. That literally in utero, somehow he has committed such an incredible sin that God would choose to punish him with blindness for life. Now, for you and I, this might sound like a very unusual way of looking at things, but there were rabbinical writings in their, uh, in their society, in their culture, that would actually cause them to have these sorts of thought processes that, that made it not completely ridiculous for them to think of it. Even in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 34 uh, in verse 7, uh, we read something that gives us a little bit of background into their thinking where it says, yet he, meaning God, does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So it wasn't ridiculous that they, that they had this line of thinking. But I want you to understand that their question was a question that was based in theological curiosity rather than a heart of compassion. They didn't say, oh, look at this blind guy. Jesus, let's go up to this blind guy and, and, and maybe you can touch him. Maybe you can heal him. Let's do something good for him. They were asking merely out of a theological curiosity. For them, it represented an unsolved riddle rather than focused on the need of this individual. And so Jesus' answer really shocked them because Jesus did not say, well, it was the parents or it was the man. He said, neither. This man's blindness is not because of his sin. It's not because of his parents' sin. It's neither. And Jesus really blows them away. Now, for you and I, in our lives, in the church, over the course of time, there has, from a time to time, there has arisen this question that really has been asked in church circles around the country. And when someone is suffering from a particular ailment, when someone is suffering from a disease, a well-meaning church member has asked, is there any unconfessed sin in your life. I'm reminded of the words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8. He says this, that your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I want to share with you today that as I look at this situation with the blind person and as I look at our lives today, as we live for God 
I believe that what this man suffered was not a punishment from God. And Jesus indeed confirms that as he shares it with us. I believe that what Jesus is saying is that this this disease, this, this blindness is an opportunity for God to work. That literally this is a challenge for God to demonstrate his power because he is looking for ways to demonstrate his glory in the world today. Let me ask you this question. Maybe you're watching at home, maybe you're here with us in-house today, but you're in need of a miracle in your life. You're in need of healing in your life. Maybe you've even had someone question you. Maybe this is something that you've dealt with for a long time, and someone well-meaning has asked you that question. Is there some unconfessed sin in your life? And that question has caused great concern in your life. That question has caused you great pain. Well, I want you to know that I believe that what you're going through today is not because God is punishing you. I believe that God has a plan. I believe that God desires to bring glory for himself. And I believe that you and I live in a lost and fallen world where sickness and disease and death are a part of it. And so I pray that that question that may have been asked to you, that you will not allow it to bring hurt and pain in your life, but that you would know that God knows what you need and that God has provided for each of us. And we don't experience all healing in this world today, but one day the Bible says that we will all walk in that healing. Let's look at question number two. Where does this take place? Now, when we look at John chapter 9, we have to actually go back to the end of chapter 8 and we realize that Jesus is in Jerusalem and that the Pharisees want to kill him and Jesus is hightailing it away from the temple and he is, he is trying to uh, get away from them and he successfully does so. And so I, I don't see Jesus looking to make a big splash here. I don't see Jesus wanting to, to create a commotion. In fact, he quietly slips away from the temple and he's just wanting to kind of lie low. He's in a stealth mode. And so they're walking along, he and his disciples, and they see this blind man and the disciples ask this question. Now, Jesus could have in this situation because of the situation he had come out of, he could have just ignored the man. He just could have continued to move along. He could have said to his disciples, guys, we've got really bigger issues right now than, than this blind man, so let's just keep on moving. He could have said to them, you know, this guy really doesn't have much of a, an ability to help our ministry he, look at him, he, he can't really do anything. There's no job that he can fulfill. 
He might have looked at him and said, he, he doesn't have a job. He, he, he doesn't have much, so he, he can't really contribute or, or donate to the ministry. He can't follow. He can't really do anything. He's really a burden for his family uh, just to even get him here. He's not really able to even care for himself throughout his, his life. But Jesus didn't just walk by the man and not recognize his need. He noticed him. In fact, that might be why the disciples actually asked the question, because Jesus had already noticed him. And our text says that Jesus stopped, and he bent down, and he spit in the dirt. I love the reading of the text to see what Jesus did, that he was, he was just a guy like you and I, Although the Son of God, he spits in the dirt, he makes mud from the spit, and he takes that mud and he wipes it on his eyes. I envision them off to the side of the street, and it's got to be a good corner because this guy is on a corner and he's been blind his whole life. So I imagine it's a, it's a pretty good corner. Jesus is not wanting to make a, a, a demonstration of anything. He's not wanting to really be visible, and yet they're off to the side. Jesus is ministering to him, and he is doing this. He wipes the mud on his eyes, and then he tells him, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam. I can imagine what this blind man was thinking. Why in the world do I have to go all the way across town and go to the pool of Siloam, and I have mud washed all over my eyes here. It's smeared all over my eyes, and, I, and, and I'm not supposed to wipe it off. I, I would have wanted to wipe it off before I got there. I wonder if he was even concerned about, about maybe how he appeared, how he looked. And I can only imagine, uh, because I don't think that anybody was necessarily there. I don't think he was even going to wait till the end of the day. I imagine him trying to feel his way throughout the city in order to get to the pool of Siloam. Imagine what that would be like. I wonder if he was thinking about the story from 2 Kings chapter 5, which undoubtedly he would have been aware of from the ministry of Elisha. A, a, a general named Nahum was the commander of the forces of Aram. And he had leprosy, and he came to the prophet Elisha in Israel, and he asked him for healing. And the prophet told him to go to the river Jordan and to wash himself in the water of the river seven times, and his skin would be healed. The scripture says that, that, that this man was angry. Naaman was angry at Elisha, and he said, Aren't my rivers in my country just as good, if not better, than the ones here in Israel? I traveled all this way for nothing. His servant actually had to convince him to obey the prophet and indeed go into the water seven times. Imagine what that would be like. You go into the water the first time and come out nothing Leprosy is still there. You go into the water a second time and come out, no change. A third time, no change. Fourth, fifth, and sixth, no change. 
I wonder if he planned on giving up, but he went in that seventh time, and when he came out, the Bible says that his skin was like the skin of a child. He was healed. I wonder if that story was running through the mind of the blind man as he was trying to get to the pool of Siloam in order to wash off his face the way Jesus told him to do. That pool of Siloam was used by the Jews for ritual washing in the Jewish religion. Scholars tell us it would have been quite an effort for him, the blind man, to get there. And I want you to know something today, that wherever you are, Jesus knows where you are. When Jesus told the blind man to go to the pool, Jesus knew how far it was. He knew that the man was blind, and yet he told him anyway. And Jesus didn't say, let me take you there. Jesus said, go and wash in the pool. I want you to know that Jesus knows your situation today. I want you to know that he knows exactly how long it's been. Jesus knows what healing you need. He knows where you are. And he has the ability to reach you. He knows how you feel. He knows that like this blind man, you might feel like you've been in the dark your entire life. He knows your condition. Maybe you suffer with a handicap. Jesus knows that condition. Maybe you have a disease. Jesus knows that disease. And like the blind man, you might have thought, Jesus will never see me. Jesus will never know where I am. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your Father's care. Do you know that the Bible says that Jesus knows the number of hairs on your head? Now, for me, that's that's not a big challenge, but for some of you, that would be a lot of work to number those hairs. The Bible says, Jesus says, you are worth more than many sparrows. And I believe that God can touch you right where you are. You might be here in the sanctuary with us. You might be in your living room. You might be still in your bed this morning. You might be in a hospital room as you're watching this. I believe that God can touch you today right where you are. The third question I'd like us to look at is how was this man healed? What was used to bring this miracle about in his life? Was it the mud? Was it the water from the pool of Siloam? I think some people would think, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus... um, knew that there was a compound in the mud and mixed with a certain uh, maybe, maybe uh, thing in the, in the water that's unique to that area. And Jesus just knew that somehow that would bring healing in this guy's life. Well, the Bible says that this man was born blind. That this was not 
a, a healing that was going to take place because of some cure. Instead, he was going to need something that was creative in nature. It wasn't the, the water, it wasn't the mud that had the ability to heal. In John chapter 5, we read that, Jesus, or that, that, um, that many of those that needed healing would gather around the pool of Bethesda there in the city of Jerusalem, and that from time to time, an angel would stir the water, and the first person who would get into the water after the angel stirred the water, they would be healed. Well, that was the angel doing the stirring that caused the healing, not the water itself. But let's look at John chapter 1 and look at verses 2 and 3. And we're going to read a couple of verses here that really um, are going to show us where this healing, the source of this healing comes from. It says this, John says, he was with God in the beginning. This is referring to the word who is Jesus. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is called the Word, and the Word was responsible for creation, and a creative miracle, a miracle of creation, was going to be needed in this situation. Let me look at Isaiah chapter 35 as well. Here's a prophecy that we read about 750 years before Jesus is born, verses 5 and 6, and it says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. These, these different miraculous events were proof of who the Messiah would be. And so 750 years after Isaiah writes it, we see that there is proof that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, when we, uh, when we look at John chapter 9, verse 32, it says, no one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. It just didn't happen. It was not something that, that the prophets or other men of God had done during their ministries. This was a defining proof of who Jesus was. The Bible says that, that God says, I am the God that forgives your sin and heals your diseases. The Bible says that by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. And the Pharisees could not deny the healing of this man who was born blind, no matter how hard they tried to. Even with empirical evidence of the healing, they doubted and denied that Jesus was the Messiah. John chapter 5 and verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I read that verse this morning because that tells me that Jesus, having laid aside the benefit of his deity, 
He is able to heal as the Messiah because he and the Father are in complete unity. You say, how did Jesus heal this man? How was he healed? The blind man was healed because he came in contact with the Messiah, the one who was the Son of God. You know, as we close, we can look at the responses that were we see from each of these individuals or groups to this blind man's healing. The Pharisees, they denied it. They, they certainly tried to disprove it. It didn't fit in their agenda. They were worried about the Romans taking away their position in society. The man's parents, they were afraid to acknowledge anything other than the fact that he's our son. And yes, he was born blind, but we don't know anything else. They were afraid. The neighbors, they, they even argued whether or not this was the guy that actually, that they knew that had been born blind and they had seen begging throughout his life. They, they didn't want to really acknowledge anything. They, they were confused. But the blind man said this, here's what I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. John chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, we read Jesus' next conversation with this man. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, meaning out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The story that I started out with this morning of a man named Reinhardt. God healed Reinhardt. He went back to the doctors and the doctors told him, Mr. Shorman, we're sorry, but we cannot find your tumor. We can't find your cancer. I'm so glad that the Bible tells us in James chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, is any among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. The Bible gives various names to God. And the Bible refers to God as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. As we close today in prayer, I want to encourage you, if you need healing, I believe that God desires to touch you today. I don't know what it is. I don't know how long you've dealt with it. I don't know where you are at this moment, but I believe in Jehovah Rapha. As we pray, I'm simply going to invite you to stand and let's believe God together. So even if you're in your living room, stand so that we can pray together and ask God and believe God for your healing today.
Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray today, Lord, that we would not only see what the Scripture says, but that we would believe that you are the God that forgives our sin and heals our diseases. That we would put our faith in the Scriptures that say, by His wounds we are healed. And Father, we understand that we live in a world where there is sin and, and disease and death, and that will not end until we are in heaven. But Father, for those today that are dealing, Lord, with some sort of an illness, some sort of a disease, some sort of a, of a situation that needs the healing power of God, and as they have stood to their feet wherever they are, I pray for the healing power of God. Father, I know that you know right where they are. I know that you know their issue. You do not condemn them. But Father, you come to them. And I believe today that you want to touch them. Father, I pray for healing in the name of Jesus. And as Jesus took the time to spit on the ground, to make mud and wipe it on the blind man's eyes, I pray right now, Lord, that by your power, you would touch their lives. Touch that illness. Touch that that situation, touch that thing that needs healing today. And Father, we will be careful to give you all the glory, all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.